0: It's kind of critical for the things I'm going to share. So. <laughs> now, as this is my wife. Um, I wouldn't just put my arm around a, a random lady that was, that was up here. Um, everything that people associate with Mother's Day, she's walked through. She lost her mother when she was just a kid. And when we first started dating when we were just kids, there was profound pain that was still there. Um, She grew up in an abusive household. She had to to go through that. We lost a a child in a tragic way. Um, she's She's had to deal with that. We're looking at a series on contentment, and she, all those things being true, is a picture of biblical contentment. You are my hero. Wherever you're at here today, whether you come in high, the passage that we're going to look at addresses that, or you come in low, guess what? Jesus is there. Um, You don't have to find your way to where Jesus is at. He's already done everything to find his way to you and praise god for that um also uh, after this service we start vacation and um i've got to tell you it this place has become family in just a couple of short months and um I'm going to miss not being here. That, that's mind-blowing. That, that we're already family to the point where I'm so excited to come and worship here on Sundays and it's only going to get better from here. Hallelujah. God is so good. Let me pray for our mothers because we are so thankful for you. I see so many of my moms in the faith here and I see so many who are becoming my moms in the faith my own mom who attends here has 102 fevers so uh, she is not here but thankfully there are so many mommies in this body and we're grateful for you today and we pray for those who have fresh wounds Jesus thank you for a time to set aside to give gratitude for our mothers for our wives Lord you're You're so good, your plans are so perfect. Thank you for the wife that you've given to me and the mother to my children. Thank you for the dozens upon dozens um, becoming in the hundreds of women that we have here who adore Jesus and are an example of his light to a dark generation. Pray for our time in the Scriptures to you illuminate Your Word and empower the preaching of it. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, if you would turn to Philippians chapter four, um, it is hot as can be up here. So goodbye jacket. I don't like jackets anyway. I do it for you. If it were up to me, I would be in my pajamas and flip flops. Maybe it is up to me, and maybe I will be. So as we have said in our study in Philippians, one of the major themes of this book is joy. Well, as this book that has so much to say about joy reaches its end, it finishes with a lot to say about contentment. And really, joy and contentment are like cousins. It's hard to have one without the other. And we've talked a lot about joy and humility over the last two months as we've studied through this great book and contentment is one of the great fruits that should be growing in our lives if we're really grasping the biblical teaching on Christ entrenched humble joy. It's like by ending this book with talking about contentment that Paul gives us a very practical gauge to measure whether we really grasp and are applying the teaching on joy that is literally on every page in Philippians. And I want to share with my, my heart with you for a minute before we get into our text and before we get into our final passage of the book. If, if you're here and you're struggling with contentment, my heart goes out to you. This is something that I've battled mightily over the years. And I, I've seen even some of the most mature Christians that I look up to so much also battle in applying this teaching on contentment. The great 16th century author, St. John of the Cross, used the struggle with contentment and coined the term the dark night of the soul to when contentment is just so fleeting that it seems as if we just cannot find it and we cannot come back to it. Years later, the great author C.S. Lewis would write just extensively about the dark night of the soul in so much of his writings, and he would battle with contentment and joylessness to the point where he, if you look through some of his writings, he would even write that he felt like frequently giving up. That's how deep he struggled. Thankfully, Jesus wouldn't let him throughout the scriptures we see examples of righteous people who loved Jesus who wrestled with contentment mightily i mean how often do you hear the psalmist crying out things like lord where are you i'm doing everything i can here to try to be righteous in the midst of my adversaries and my foes but you seem so distant right during the time when I need you to be so close. Or, or how about Job as he's just crying out to the Lord? Or how about Elijah the prophet as he goes to the wilderness and he says, if this is the way it's going to be, then kill me, Lord. I mean, make no mistake about it. That's what he was asking God. Or how about Moses who would frequently wrestle with the Lord and say, God, I never asked to be leading these people. You're the one that made me do it. So why would you give me such a stinker of a group of people to be leading? And he would struggle with contentment. And to your testimony of just how much I love you guys, I haven't had to spend devotions in the book of Exodus um, since I've been here. So hallelujah to you guys. I've not wanted to strike a rock or um, wish you back to Egypt or anything like that. What a precious people you are. Even believers who've been walking with Jesus for a long time can wrestle with this issue of contentment. So if you're here, if you're wrestling with this, I'm the last to point any fingers, but I want to close our study in the book by saying that there is hope and that you do not have to be hopeless as you wrestle with this issue of contentment. If you're wrestling with contentment, it doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian, as you come here today. So let's get rid of any shame. There will be no shame in our game as we look at this text and this issue of contentment. But it does mean that if you are depriving yourself of contentment, that you are selling yourself short. Jesus wants you to be content or He would not have put texts like this in the Bible. So I have a few questions before I even start looking at the text to sort of gauge where you are at with contentment as we sit here today. The first is simple and direct. Are you content with where you are at in life right now, today? Second, does your faith bring you any more contentment than the person without faith in Jesus would have? And third is like the first question, Are you wrestling with contentment with where you are at in life right now? Last week I talked a lot about the personal value of contentment. How contentment just makes our lives so much more enjoyable. And I'm going to talk a lot about that this morning, but I just want to take a moment before we get into the text to ask you to consider the evangelistic value of contentment. We are a missional, missionally-minded church, so I thought it would just be appropriate to end our book with a missional focus as to the application and appropriation of the doctrine of contentment. Con- a content life, folks is one of the most powerful witnesses that we have to show the power of the Gospel. Family contentment is so powerful. This world is not a place that breeds contentment. And this world needs to see genuine, authentic, Christ-centered, Gospel-driven Spirit-empowered contentment. They need to see that that is a reality that is available to us through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Before I was a Christian, contentment was really what I was looking for. I don't know if anybody can identify with this, but I was somebody that always felt uncomfortable in my own skin. And I lived my life with this nagging belief that it's got to be better than this. This can't be it. I had one of those metaphysical kind of moments watching the movie As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson, and I'm not suggesting that. Sometimes you can quote things. I hope you guys know, and and you're not suggesting everybody to just, hey, run out and go watch that. But I remember there's this scene where he's sitting in the diner, and he poses this question, what if this is as good as it gets? And it's when I was still headlong in my addiction and I was struggling with so many issues and I was like, wow, what if this is as good as it gets? What a frightening thought that that would be. Um, so I understand that as we look at it. Not only does a real Christ-centered abiding contentment make our life more rich and enjoyable, it gives us a powerful and tangible witness to the most discontented world about the power of the gospel and this is why i think paul chose to close the book to a church full of suffering christians with the most complete treatment on the topic of contentment in the whole bible so let's dig into this text and see what the lord has for us in his word look with me at verse 10 it says i rejoiced in the lord greatly That now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So this text starts out showing that Paul had every reason to lose his contentment. Or to put it another way, Paul had every reason not to be content. In this verse, Paul is thanking the Philippian church that they were concerned for him. And he's grateful that they had enough care to be a people that were concerned for him. And he even tells them that they have reasons for their concerns. He's saying, I get it, you're concerned for me. And I want to tell you, your concerns are valid. But in this next text, in the next couple of verses, he tells them that even though they have legitimate reasons to be concerned, he's going to be okay. And the reason that Paul gives to explain why he was okay in his spirit, even though his circumstances were not okay, is because he had learned to be content. Look with me at verse 11. It says, not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. So Paul was able to assure these guys that he was going to be okay. And the reason that he gave them that they could be assured in this is that he had somehow learned to be content. And this is significant. This is the thought that we're going to take the entire morning developing and unpacking together. Paul had every reason in the world not to be content. He had every reason in the world not to be just not content. He had every reason in the world to be freaking out, guys. He was in prison as he wrote this. Can I get a show of hands of all of you that have been in prison? No, just kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) he, he, He was waiting to meet with Nero, the most psychopathic emperor that had lived up until that time. If he was released from prison, there was a group of people that were waiting to take his life. If you look in Acts chapter 23, verses 12 through 15, there's actually these group of people that make a vow saying, We will not eat or drink until we kill Paul. I don't know about you, but sometimes I lose my contentment when somebody says an ill word about me. I can lose my contentment by just hearing that somebody had gossiped about me. Sometimes my contentment can be fractured by hearing that somebody does not think as highly of me as I do. Um, (laughs) Well, here you have 40 people vowing that they're not going to even take another sip of water until they kill this guy. Not only that, but this was all the religious leaders of the nation that he grew up under that wanted to kill him. Not to mention that these 40 people that were vowing to kill Paul were the same people that were his best friends back in Acts chapter 6 and 7. How much must that have hurt? Anybody here ever experienced betrayal? Man, is it hard to find contentment in the midst of betrayal or what? Is that just one of the most gut-wrenching situations when the people that you care about have turned their back on you? to be able to just tether yourself to Jesus and find contentment. So you could understand if Paul was freaking out a little bit. He, he, you could understand if he had given over his contentment. But in the midst of his world falling apart all around him, he was able to experience that which he had talked about back in verse 7, the peace that surpasses all understanding, guarding his heart and his mind. And he actually has peace. It's not just theoretical peace. This guy had the right to pen these words because he was living it out. He discovered the secret of being content. But friends, Paul did not always have the attitude of being content. He he was not just content by nature because our human nature is sinful. It it doesn't breed contentment. By, By nature, we're not content people. Think back to the first sin, folks. Before any sin ever entered the world, people wrestled with contentment. Think about that. For a second. It's pretty profound and it gives you insight into why contentment can be something that's so fleeting. There was no sin. In the world yet, yet people were struggling with contentment. And I think it's the lack of contentment that actually led to the whole, to the first sin and got us in this whole mess to begin with. I mean, think about it. Everything in the world was perfect, they were living in an absolute paradise. But then the enemy comes along and says, You know, it would make things even better than perfect if you ate this fruit over here. First of all, fruit. Like seriously, I could understand if it was like a buffalo wing tree or something. <laughs> and I imagine that when we get to heaven, I'm going to have a tree that grows buffalo wings. But this wasn't a buffalo wing tree. It was a piece of fruit. And they were like perfection and a life of contentment or an apple. I'm going to go with the apple on this. I mean, it's nuts. But anyway, things are perfect. How can things that are perfect get any... Perfecter, they're, they're living in paradise, but all it took was introducing the idea that grass might be greener on the other side for them to give up everything for the sake of maybe buying into a little bit more contentment. So man surrendered their contentment for the promise of more contentment. And we've never gotten it back. And people are still falling into the same trap. By our nature, we are addicted to more. So it takes something supernatural to give us contentment that we're looking for because most American Christians... Are not all that different than most American non Christians. We believe that the secret of contentment is more. And I see it in pastors all the time. I heard a story by C.S. Lewis that I think illustrates this so perfectly. He says it's the story of a rich industrialist who is disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. And he says, Why aren't you out there fishing? he asked. Well, because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Well, why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. Well, what would I do with them? You can earn more money, as the guy grew impatient and said, you could buy a better boat so that you could go deeper and catch more fish. And then you could purchase nylon nets and get even more fish. And then pretty soon you could make more money and soon you'd have a fleet of boats and you'd be rich like me. So the fisherman asked, well, then what would I do? Well, then you could sit back and enjoy life said the industrialist what do you think i'm doing right now the fisherman replied as he looked peacefully out at the sea but isn't that at the heart of what it means to be wrestling with contentment, People look at contentment as if it's something that's so out there to attain or something that is inside of us to tap into rather than something that can be grasped because of Jesus. But the key word in the passage is learned. Paul, by nature, had the same restless spirit that we're born with, but he learned to be content. So, so we can't just write off his contentment as if Paul had some unique wiring that allowed for him to keep from obsessing over his circumstances. And we can't excuse our lack of contentment by just looking at Paul and saying, well, that's Paul. And Paul is different. I, I think that part of of it is that this guy had gone through so much in life that he knew that it wouldn't make sense to wait for everything to be perfect in order to be content. He finally accepted that there was never going to be a time where everything was going to be perfect on this side of heaven, and most of us really struggle with accepting that simple reality. We give lip service to the devastating effects of sin upon the earth, but we still believe in the back of our mind that we might someday have a perfect utopia on this side of glory. And just as a little tangent, having perfect circumstances family is an illusion. It's never going to happen on this side of heaven. It's a lie from the enemy to keep us from enjoying life and enjoying Christ in the present. Paul knew that he needed to learn to be content even if his situation never improved beyond what it was at the current time that he was in. Think about that versus the way that the world looks. At contentment. Let, me, let me go back and read what I just said to you. Paul knew that he knew, needed to learn to be content even if the situation that he was in never improved beyond where he was at in his current time. I'm sure that when Paul began to understand contentment that it was a breakthrough in his life. When he started to realize that he didn't need to buy the lie. You don't have to believe the enemy that you cannot be content in what you're facing. Family, as you sit here today, if the enemy has been whispering that in your ear, you don't have to believe the lie that you can't be content in the middle of what you're facing. You don't have to wait for everything to change in order to experience contentment. You can, on the merits of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross, experience contentment right now. Amen? And I'm sure that when Paul began to understand this, it was one of the most amazing truths that he could ever come to understand. Because when you begin to understand that you don't have to wait for your circumstances to change in order to be content, it's going to be a breakthrough for you too. Because isn't contentment the thing that everybody is seeking? I mean, think about it. Isn't what most people do, or most of the things that are being done because we hope that someday we'll be able to find contentment, that we'll be able to fill the void inside, that we'll be able to scratch the itch that we don't even know how to find the genesis from. Everybody wants to be content. Everybody wants to believe that if everything lined up just right, that we would be able to be content. Somebody once said it's not our circumstances that create our contentment or discontentment. It's us. Listen, folks. Discontent people will not be content no matter what happens to their circumstances. Let me repeat that. Discontent people will not be content no matter what happens to their circumstances. Do you understand that? If you're a discontent person, you are not going to find contentment by simply having your circumstances change. You'll just find new reasons to be discontent. That's human nature. Too many people rob themselves of the joy of being content because they keep thinking that contentment is something that they're going to find later. Well, we'll find it after we've worked out all of our issues. Folks, I hope you know the Bible well enough or at least know yourself well enough to know that you're never going to work out all of your issues. If you plan on it, you've picked the wrong church, man. Because I am a festering bowl of issues. <laughs> I don't care. That's not self-abasement, me saying that, because so are you. And I'm not picking on you. That's just the truth, man. If, if we had the opportunity to work out all of our issues, we wouldn't need a Gospel. We wouldn't need a Savior. The Gospel reminds us that the the world is fallen and no amount of cleverness or careful planning can ever make it right. So we cannot set our hope on this falling world lining up just right for us and giving us the results that we're looking for. The fallenness of this world is intended to force our eyes on the Redeemer not to try to tinker with things so that we can make a flawed world somehow become perfect in our estimation. You see in this passage that Paul did not just seek contentment, he found it through Jesus. That's what gives us hope. That's the hope that you find in this passage. He found the secret of being content, and the secret to finding content is not complex, and it's not a secret. In fact, it's too simple. And it's so simple that people can be dismissive of it by saying, oh, I've heard that before, or that's easy for you to say, but I have real problems going on in my life. That's probably the most common way that people cut themselves off from the biblical teaching of contentment is they minimize other people's problems, which is a form of judging. I'm just going to let you know. They minimize other people's problems as if they're not as real as their problems. And then they maximize their own so that I can hold on to my sinful attitude, insulate myself, and create this perfect storm to where nobody can call me on the fact that I've not tapped in to biblical contentment. Well, if you came here having real problems today, welcome. Jesus said that he didn't come for those who didn't. He said, I didn't, uh, the healthy, they don't need a physician. I've come to call the sick. I've come to call those who understand they have real problems and they need a savior. The thing that just kills me is that for too many Christians, contentment is something that lies just outside their grasp. It's something like those old Bugs Bunny cartoons when he's riding on the tortoise and he's got the carrot dangling kind of like this. And you got contentment out here and you think, man, if I could just grasp this thing Then I'm going to have contentment, but you can't because it's something that just lies out. And then once you finally grab it, you're like, oh, I got it. And then boom, it's outside of your grasp. Yet again, contentment is the thing that, that many just keep trying to chase. And it lies right outside of their grasp. And it's not the situation that you find yourself in today that keeps you from being content. Please grasp that. We have to get rid of the mindset of if only then I'll be happy kind of thinking. It's a lie. There's no truth in it. As long as we live with that mindset, contentment will always be something that's just looming on the horizon and we say, man, if we could just change this one thing about myself or this one thing about my circumstances, then I'll be content. You don't have to miss out. God wants you to be content now. That's biblical truth. If I'm growing towards contentment, then I'm growing towards Jesus. And God is honored in that. But to truly understand this, we have to understand the truth in verse 12 that, cert, that contentment is not circumstantial. Look with me at verse 12. It says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul's learned The secret of being content in any and every circumstance. Folks, isn't that where we all want to get to? And the situations that we read about here in verse 12 that Paul was dealing with were mind-blowing. Paul was content in living in humble circumstances or in his words, to be brought low. That means no matter how bad things got, Paul was content. And most of Paul's life, was just really a running commentary on humble circumstances. And when you see that Paul was content in living in these humble circumstances, it shows you that contentment has to run deeper than being something that's circumstantial. It was not this cheesy, everything is perfect, slap on a smile, Sunday morning Christianity contentment that we're talking about here. He said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I've learned to be truly content in these humble circumstances. But understand this, folks. There's nothing special about Paul. There's nothing unique about Paul that gave him the ability to do this. The, Paul, the Bible does not hold up Paul so that we could look at, the, at Paul and say, hey, we need to be more like Paul. As Paul shares about the contentment that he found, the whole point is to give glory to Christ. Then... He says that he learned to be content in the midst of prosperity or abundance. And I know what some of you are probably thinking. Hey, I'd like to try to be content with a little bit of abundance. Um, especially if you're struggling to make ends meet. You're probably thinking it would be a lot easier to be content in prosperity. But if statistics of world economics show you anything, it's not easier to be content with prosperity than it is to be content in the midst of poverty. In fact, most statistics would show you that it's actually more difficult in many ways. Abundance does not create contentment. Look at Hollywood, folks. If abundance bred contentment, then Hollywood would just be filled with the happiest people in the face of the world. Do they just seem like mind-blowingly joyful to you when I look at the broken lives that are just littered in the entertainment industry? So, he learned how to be content in poverty. He learned how to be content in the midst of abundance. He learned how to be content when he was facing extreme hunger, he says. He learned how to be content when he was full. And that makes me think of Proverbs 38 and 9. Check these verses out. I love these verses. He says, Remove far from me the falsehood of lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of our God. When we're full, isn't that the easiest time to forget our God? Isn't that why we fast? And forgetting God is the quickest route to losing your contentment. He even goes on to say that he is content when he's in the midst of great need. I'm so grateful for this part of the verse being in there because most of the conversations that I have with people about the lack of contentment come back to this issue right here that people have been tricked into believing that they will be content as long as some significant need that they feel is met. If they were able to get the job that they were applying for, if they were able to sell their house, if they were able to get the health issue solved that they were struggling with, if they got the raise that they needed to give them a few extra bucks, if the boy that they liked just liked them back. What happens when you get it and you're still not content? That's a scary place to be in. The verse right here is evidence that contentment is not something that happens on the other side of having all of your needs met. Paul learned to be content in the midst of needs. So why is he content in the midst of all this? Because Paul did not have the if-only mindset. If only this happened, then I would be happy. If only this were to change, then I would be content. Paul decided to learn to be content in the midst of his stuff, according to verse 12. And it says that he learned to be content. I love the tense of the Greek verb here. It doesn't just mean that he learned to, and it was like, well, I learned that lesson. Been there, done that, moved on. It means he consciously decided to. It means that he made this continual, ongoing decision. It wasn't just a one-time deal. That's why I love Greek because there are tenses that just are so much more nuanced than English. Paul continually had to make the decision to be content. It was part of him putting on his armor every morning as I was preparing my children, helped me this morning to, to create my, my armor. They made me my, my, my armor of contentment And they didn't make this. I love love this bad boy here. But it was part of putting on the armor. So how did He do it? What is the secret to being content? It tells you right in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Jesus was the secret to being content. And man, is this one of the most abused verses in Scripture. God didn't give us that verse so Tim Tebow could write it on the eye black before he goes to play football. That's not why Philippians 4.13 was given to us. The all things is just so badly taken out of context in this passage. The all things that Paul is talking about in the context here is the ability to be content in any and every situation. Paul is saying, look, I know my situation looks hopeless. And there is no reason that I should be content right now, but I can do all things, even being content in the midst of the most horrific season of my life because of Christ who is actively strengthening me The all things is contextually linked to contentment in this passage and it proves that not only is contentment not circumstantial it's not something that is inside of you that you're waiting to pull out before i was a christian contentment was the thing that i looked for the most i'm convinced that every drug i've ever did i'm convinced that anything i've ever tried to do to get outside of myself that i did was because I did not feel content in my own skin. And I was just trying to find contentment. So I would read these books, these spiritual books, that would tell you that contentment comes by looking inside and finding the real inner you. (laughs) Whatever that means. I don't want to find the real inner me. (laughs) I still remember this guy sharing the Gospel with me one time and he asked, So how is this jacked up dude supposed to look into his jacked up heart and then in his jacked up mind put it all together and find contentment? And it was just like mind blown. Contentment doesn't come from your circumstances, but it doesn't come from looking inside yourself either. Contentment comes from Jesus supplying us with strength that we otherwise would not have had. You will never have perfect circumstances that will give you contentment. Your sin sick heart will never find peace in any way other than the way that Paul is prescribing contentment comes through Jesus supplying the strength that we need. Each of us is brought to this place, and we're probably brought there daily where we have something that would steal our contentment, and we can decide to look elsewhere for that contentment, or we can decide I'm going to stand firm on the rock of Jesus Christ for that contentment. The ones that pursue Christ are the ones who are going to be content. Can I get an amen? So if Jesus is the secret to being content, then why are there so many discontent Christians? That's the question, right? That's really what it comes down to. Is anybody else asking themselves that as we're listening to this little um, story that we are looking at? Let's personalize it. If Jesus is the secret to being content, and I know Jesus, then how come I'm not content? The answer goes back to the same answer that started this problem way back in the garden to begin with, truly not believing that Jesus is enough. So we look for other places to try to find contentment. We believe that Jesus plus something will give us the contentment that we're craving. Jesus plus financial stability. Jesus plus change in our living situation. And then we're surprised to find out when you get that plus that you're still in the midst of a disaster. The verse doesn't say, I can do all things through Christ. Plus, Jesus doing everything the way I want him to, and that strengthens me. We know it's a lie, but it's one that we can be so easily deceived by. All of the circumstances in the book of Philippians were designed to cast their eyes squarely on Jesus as the sole means of strength. Not Jesus plus the situation changing. Not Jesus plus some kind of inner strength that you find through intestinal fortitude. No, it's Jesus... Jesus is the one that strengthens us. If I was to ask you the application of the sermon this morning, it's an easy one. You could just answer back. Go ahead, do it. Jesus, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great one. <laughs> Somebody says, what did you learn in church today? Jesus. It's the same thing our Sunday school kids are learning. All of the circumstances in the book of Philippians were designed to teach them to cast their eyes squarely on Jesus to fix their eyes onto the heavens because that's where our help comes from. And let me close with this. Part of being uh, being in the body of Christ is critical for lasting contentment. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and the Philippians, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I was in Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you only. So Paul closes the letter by telling the church that they are such an encouragement to him along the way. Brothers and sisters, we need the body of Christ if we're going to live the content Christian life. That's why Hebrews tells us to encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today. Lest any of you become hardened in your isolation by the deceitfulness of sin. Paul received so much joy and encouragement that he was able to experience contentment because of Jesus, but also because he experienced Jesus in and through the church of Jesus Christ. And let me just say, I know exactly how he must have felt this is not lip service this is the overflow of my heart it gives me so much joy to be one of your pastors or let's use the word rejoicing that paul i rejoice that i get to this is not a have to it is not a have to to shepherd any of you it is a get to you are precious precious people and thank you who am i that I should have the privilege to be able to be a pastor to you people. You guys help encourage me towards contentment. Thank you. Uh, I don't have to say that. I don't get a raise from saying that. I'm not looking for any benefit from it's the truth. And you need to know it. That you people are just profoundly special. But that's what the body of Christ is designed for, family. I think that it's why he pushes them so hard to consider contentment. And that's where I want to close today. So I have a couple of application questions for you. If you're here and you've been wrestling with contentment your whole life, perhaps it's because God is releasing the hounds of heaven to chase you down. And I promise you, you cannot run faster than him. Why am I a Calvinist? Because I love the doctrine of irresistible grace. Because if I had any way to resist his grace, I would have. And I've tried to. Man, have I tried to. And he says, there was no way you outrun my grace. I will chase you down. I will catch you. And I will make you my own. God is so kind that he did not let me find contentment apart from a relationship with him. And if you're here today and you you don't know Jesus, guess what? God is so kind that he will not let you be content apart from a relation. Isn't he so gracious? Because if he did, why would we seek him? Why would we desire him? The thing that you think might give you... I, I always used to have this belief, I'll come to Jesus later in life. When I'm old, man, when I'm done having fun, I I, I just need to do my thing and then I'm going to come to Christ. Doing my thing almost crushed me on my way to trying to find contentment because God is good. If He's pursuing you and you're running, He will begin to make those footsteps louder because He's in love with you. If you're a Christian and you've been struggling with contentment, First of all, I just want you to know, welcome. You're home. You can share that. You don't have to be ashamed of that. Understand where you're at. More importantly, Jesus understands where you're at. You don't have to struggle alone. That's what the body of Christ is here for. You don't just have to accept the fact that contentment is going to be something out there and it's going to be something that is fleeting. Contentment is one of the gifts that was purchased for you at the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, He didn't just mean the grave, folks. He meant all of those things that would rob us and force us to look somewhere other than Jesus to be able to find the contentment that could only be found in Christ contentment is a gift that Jesus purchased for you. May we come to the Lord with open hands this morning as we partake of communion and receive the gifts that he paid such a great price to be able to give on your behalf. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that not all, if, if all you did was rescue us from our sin, it would have been plenty. Thank you that you have given us the gift of contentment. God, you're so good. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for the cross. And we find contentment in Jesus today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.